Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor points out that it's okay to get married and okay to be single. There is nothing wrong with being single. Not a commandment to remain single. It's, it's not, you absolutely have to, but it's okay if you are. It should be a relief to you because there is a pressure on singles to not remain single. And it's really uncomfortable sometimes for singles. You'll talk to them and they'll have friends and relationships and the topic of marriage inevitably comes up. Sometimes it's very offensive. You might come up to a single, you're not married yet? Well, that's very hurtful. That's a hurtful question to ask. Or what's going on in your life? Why are you still single? And, and Paul just wants you to know, just very simply, it's okay. It's okay if you're single. This is amazing grace. Well, we've covered a wide variety of topics in our study of 1 Corinthians thus far, from the damage caused by division to a rebuke of carnality, and more recently, a call for purity. Now the Apostle Paul shifts gears and discusses singleness, marriage, and sex. Maybe you're single today and made to feel almost like a second-class citizen. You're bombarded with questions like, why aren't you married yet? It's important for you to know that God says it's perfectly fine to be single. With that said, it's also okay to be married. There's a lot of confusion in this area, and 1 Corinthians 7 provides a much-needed truth on the subject. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. As Paul begins chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. And after tackling the topic of sexual purity in chapter 6, Paul begins to answer some of the questions that were brought up to him by the church. Because sexual immorality was so rampant, so accepted, so, so much a part of their society and even infiltrating the church, marriage was being undermined. The sanctity of marriage, the value of marriage. And there was a lot of confusion over relationships. Confusion over the value of singleness. Confusion over the value of marriage. Confusion over the power in the Holy Spirit of self-control. And as chapter 7 opens up, Paul's going to begin to address various things that have come up in light of the lack of strong spiritual leadership in the church. And culturally... As we're reading through 1 Corinthians, even though we're thousands of years separate from the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth, that city in Corinth, is different than perhaps the city of Denver, a lot is the same. We share a lot of the same attributes in our culture that they battled in their culture. And it's important to have some of these underlying understandings of what they're dealing with so you can see it in light of what they're dealing with and what we're dealing with. And so if you want to jot them down, I want to give you some background 
of what's going on, just so you understand where Paul's coming from and we can fit it in the context. Because once we understand the context, then we can use the application of how to use it in our lives. So number one, marriage in the time of this letter was not clearly defined in Corinth. There were a lot of opinions and arrangements in relationships that were referred to as marriage, but separate and opposite of what God defined as marriage. For example, living together, just kind of shacking up, was considered marriage in the Greek culture. There were relationships that were forced upon one another depending on debt issues or family issues, and so there was a forced connection of relationships. They called that marriage. There were marriages in the Greek and the Roman culture that happened by sale, where a father would sell his daughter into a relationship, and they would call that marriage, and she would be forced to move in that direction. And then there was a traditional understanding of marriage where there was an agreement between two parties, and they entered into it and made a lifetime commitment. So there's a lot of confusion. Even in our own society, there's a lot of confusion over marriage and What is the value of marriage? Who defines marriage? What individuals can enter into the marriage covenant? And there's a lot of confusion then and now. Number two, there is an issue that they're dealing with in particular, and that is singleness was seen as super spiritual. So in order to be super spiritual, singleness was encouraged. Those that were single were seen as one cut above others. And there was this strong belief among some that if you really, really wanted to be spiritual, then you would remain single forever, remain celibate. Actually, that belief hasn't left us. There are large religious institutions that in order to become a priest... You need to have a vow of celibacy, which is seen then as a cut above everyone else, that if you remain celibate and single, then you are somehow higher than others. It hasn't left us. And it creates, it's not God's order, by the way, and it creates all sorts of problems if we have seen in the news lately of holding to that view that singleness is super spiritual. You can jot this down. I'll read it to you in 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 1. Timothy is told by Paul, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And then notice, in the last days, the false teachers, he says, they will forbid to marry. But just something to look out for in the last days. There will be a forbidding to marry where that, the flip side of that will be a, an encouragement to remain single, to, to be super spiritual. It's happening then. It's, been, it's happening now in our society. Number three, in Rome, the Roman culture, there was a strong feminist movement afoot. A strong feminist movement. Women were leaving their God-given design to assert themselves in ways that were detrimental to relationships. They simply refused to marry and refused to bear children, and thus marriage was being undermined not only by the men, but also by the women. Just sort of everyone's doing that which is right in their own eyes. The church is right in the middle of that. This is the culture that God was wanting the church in Corinth to reach, and it's the culture that God is wanting us to reach in in our own day and age. And then number four, we've already seen this, but the church in Corinth had to deal with the reality that sexual immorality and sexual sin was not only popular, but it was approved and accepted. Just the way life was. The 
church had come to a place where they just resolved, this is the way it is, we're just going to have to deal with it, to the point where that horrible sexual incestuous relationship take, took place in the church and nobody did anything about it and required Paul to come and say, hey, 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 what are you guys doing? That's not God's heart. That's not God's desire. The culture was primarily an anything-goes society. And so men went from woman to woman, and there was an incredibly high divorce rate. Records show that even some men had recorded up to 28 divorces. And some would use it as a way to number their years by what year and what divorce they had. And so women weren't being valued, and marriage wasn't being valued, and and relationships weren't being valued. And to that, God enters in through his son, Jesus Christ, through his church to bring people back to reality. And that's where Paul is in chapter 7. Concerning the things of which you wrote to me, these are things on the church's mind. He answers a question. We don't know what the question was, but we do know the answer. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. What he's saying here, it is okay and it's good if you're single. It's good to be single. Celibacy is okay. And this is really the first point uh, in these verses. We're only going to go through a few verses tonight, and then we'll finish the chapter next time. This is the first point that he's making of at least four that I see. And the first one is singleness is okay. There is nothing wrong with being single. Not a commandment to remain single. It's, it's not, you absolutely have to, but it's okay if you are. And that should be really encouraging singles. It's okay if you're single. It should be a relief to you. Because there is a pressure on singles to not remain single. And it's really uncomfortable sometimes for singles. You'll talk to them and they'll have friends and relationships and the topic of marriage inevitably comes up. Sometimes it's very offensive. You might come up to a single, you're not married yet? Well, that's very hurtful. <laughs> that's a hurtful question to ask. Or what's going on in your life? Why are you still single? And, and Paul just wants you to know, just very simply, it's okay. It's okay if you're single. You're not less of a believer. You're not less in the eyes of God. You're not even less in, in the eyes of society. It's okay if you're single. There's sometimes that pressure to get married and everyone has an opinion. If you start to ask around, everybody has an opinion about singleness and marriage. But inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul just wants us to know it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It's okay if you're single. Nevertheless, here's the balance. Because of sexual immorality, let each have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Now he moves from singleness into the marriage relationship and he changes the direction a little bit. And he says, okay, for you singles, just it's okay for you to be single. And number two, singleness is okay, but there is a temptation. There is a temptation. Everyone can't be single. Everyone's not called to be single because the temptation towards sexual immorality is so strong. And so not everybody can be single, Paul's saying here. The temptation towards sexual sin can be so strong that marriage is a solution to that. That every, because of sexual immorality, he says, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. So in essence, he says two things here. Number one, it's okay to be single. Number two, it's okay to get married. Either way. Those are acceptable ways to live in Jesus Christ. 
And really, if we step back from the relationship of marriage and step back from singleness for a moment, I think there's a biblical principle here that we want to be careful in living and, and applying in our lives, and that is it's never okay to live your life in such a way that brings you toward more temptation than less. You always want to choose. I always want to choose a, a lifestyle that will keep me away from temptation, not put me closer to temptation. So the example he's using here is that there's a single, but there's, he's having problems. She's having problems with her singleness, and there's great temptation. And perhaps even fornication has become a way of life. That, that's not the right way to live. The right way to live is to begin to pray that the Lord would provide a lifetime relationship for you with a husband or a wife. That's the right decision. We have to be careful to live our lives unto the Lord, avoiding temptations and not purposely running to them. One I like to use all the time is that if you have been delivered from a lifestyle of alcohol and that still poses a temptation to you, the Lord's cleaned you up and sobered you up, but there's still temptation. There's still a desire, perhaps, that you have to crucify and you have to lay before the Lord. Then it's really a wise thing for you to stay away from bars. It's just smart. It's just a wise way to live. Not to say, I think I'll go to the bar tonight just to test how much of a temptation it is. And I'll sit up there and I'll take it all in and I'll smell it and I'll see the guy next to me and I'll see that guy over there. And and you don't set your life up in a way that says, I'm just going to live to close to temptation as I possibly can and that way I'll get the victory. And and you don't want to live that way. You want to stay as far away from temptation as possible. Oftentimes, the attitude that will come to me as a pastor, as I'm ministering to people, people will say, well, Pastor Ed, how far can I go without sinning? And that's really the wrong question to ask. It's sort of like going up to the edge of Grand Canyon where it says, don't come to the edge. And you just want to go to the edge just to see. I remember when we went to the Grand Canyon, we went to the edge, and there were little pebbles falling off the edge. And the little pebbles were telling me, you're next, buddy. Move back. Move back. Stay away from the edge. And as you live your life in our culture and the temptations that you and I face and the issues that come and and all of us that have a past and all of us that have sin in our lives that that we left and we forsook, but it created a habit, the last thing you want to do is live your life in such a way that sets you up to fail in an area that you're weak. And singleness is, is, is very similar in the sense that you, as you're coordinating and coming together in a dating or a courting relationship, you singles, you, you have to be really careful how you spend your time, where you spend your time. It's just not wise, singles, to grab a DVD from Redbox at 3 o'clock in the morning and nobody's home and all the lights are out and it's a major romantic flick and you're just there all alone and you're setting yourself up for failure. You're fooling yourself that in the relationship and and where you really care for one another and you can see potential in the relationship and you can see perhaps even marriage on the horizon that if you don't come, if you come together late at night, all alone, in the dark, romantic flick, that the emotions and the hormones in your body aren't going to just flip out. And, And then you begin to get involved in behavior that isn't necessarily sinful, but where do you think it's going to lead you? And you want to be very, very careful. You don't want to live toward temptation. You want to live, and I want to live my life away from 
temptation. And you can see that applied in every area of your life and where you look and say, hmm, this is a real big temptation. I want to be careful not to be hanging out in those places. I want to be careful not to set myself up where I started out the evening not in sin, but by the time the evening's over, I'm all condemned and beat up because I set myself up and here we are and the evening ends instead of being honorable and pure before the Lord. It ends like, man, here we are. It happened again. It happened again. And, and to those that we minister, it happened again. We start to ask, well, what were you doing? <laughs> well, this is what we were doing. And this is where, and I always ask, where did you think it was going to lead you? And the time to think about that is before the hormones start, not after. <laughs> the time to think about it is when you're at Redbox and say, you know what? Maybe this isn't the right movie for us. Or it's a little late. I should probably just take you home and, and honor you and respect you. Because it, it is sexual sin is disrespect toward one another. And Paul's kind of laying out for us, it's, it's good and it's okay to be single. It's good and it's okay to marry. Verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except with consent, for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. We learned last time that in marriage and in, in marriage and primarily there's a oneness that takes place. There is a oneness that God created in marriage. Which brings us to the third point he's making in this section. If you're married, live like you're married, not single. And that's a great temptation. If you're married, then live like you're married. Devote yourself to your spouse. A wholeheartedly and completely, a huge problem arises when a married person decides to live the single lifestyle while he or she is married. Once you make a covenant and commitment to your spouse and you exchange vows before God and man, a new creation is created in the Lord. You're one now with your spouse. You cannot live like you're single any longer. It's a huge danger. And as a married person now, he gives direction. Let the husband give to his wife affection. Listen to it from the New Living Translation, verse 3. It says, the husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is her right as a married woman, nor should the wife deprive her husband. And some in the church it seems believed that even though they were married, it was more spiritual within the marriage to abstain from sexual intimacy. That yes, they're married, but they're not connecting in oneness. And again, this is a view that's even held from by some today. The thought goes like this. Sex is only for procreation. So therefore, we will only engage in sex for children and nothing else ever. And that is a widely held view today. And it's just not what the Bible teaches. The Bible's so different when it broaches the topic of sex. Sex is a gift of God given to man, given to marriage, to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage. Turn over here. Let me show you in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. And indeed, these are verses that are often misunderstood. They're often misused. I mean, this is a section where all sorts of horrible demands are placed upon, primarily wives, Husbands will come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 here and just make crazy demands on the wife. And they'll even use this verse I'm going to show you in Hebrews 13. 
and, and they misuse it. And I'll explain that in a moment. We want to be careful just to understand the, the, the broad picture that the Holy Spirit is teaching us here as it relates to the marriage relationship. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, the writer to the Hebrews says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed, the married bed, is undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And so sex being a gift from God, we don't have time to get into the depths. This is probably better for a marriage ministry study and getting to the depths of how, these, how God uses sex within the marriage and the value of it and the joy of it. But I would challenge you, if you're questioning this and you're wondering about it, just read the Song of Solomon and just read it as like, wow, this is an incredible relationship in marriage. The things that they're sharing with one another, the, the things that they're, they're enjoying with one another, it's, well, the Bible says, let the husband render to his wife the affection that's due her, and also likewise the man, or each woman have her own husband, likewise the wife to her husband. There's an agreement, a mutual agreement within the marriage. As you read through these verses again, you begin to see how sexual love within the marriage is a privilege and a pleasure and a responsibility in that relationship. And there's no distinction here. There's no distinction. The husband has no more rights than the wife, and the wife has no more rights than the husband. And sexual relations within the marriage is to be based on love, not selfishness. That we're to serve one another in marriage. It's not ever to get to a place where sex is used as a weapon used as a tool for manipulation, to coerce, or to hold over someone's head. And you might just be sitting here just wondering, what is he talking about? That is so foreign to me. But these are very common things that disrupt a marriage. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. What you heard today is part of our series in 1 Corinthians. Are you interested in hearing it again? Just go online to calvaryco.church. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through our apps. Search for Calvary Aurora, and you can download both our church app and the Grace FM Colorado app. Pastor Ed, in today's message, you made the point that it's okay to be single and it's okay to marry. I can't help but think of the single person listening right now that's longing to be married, but it just hasn't happened yet. So what would your counsel be to them during this period of time? You know, Larry, that is super common. Uh, Before I moved here to Colorado and had the privilege of pastoring and planting uh, this church, uh, I was the singles pastor, the single adult pastor at Calvary Chapel in Downey, California. I did that alongside of my wife for two and a half years and ministered to primarily singles that were in their later 30s and uh, up until their 40s and even 50s. And this was really common. Uh, And so the first thing I would say to the single person listening right now that wants to be married, but it hasn't happened yet, and that is be patient. I I know that's a hard thing to say, especially for someone that's married. And uh, maybe you even would think, man, you just don't understand. But I want to speak to being patient of what the Holy Spirit says is a, what the Bible says is a fruit of the Spirit uh, is patience, because you definitely don't want to make a mistake of connecting uh, and marrying a person that is not good for you uh, and not good for your spiritual walk. But be patient. And secondly, I would say, especially in this series of studies we're in right now 
on Abounding Grace Radio is is that there's nothing wrong with singleness. You are not less of a believer. You're not less of a person. You're not less fulfilled. Um, there, there is a season. I like to use the phrase seasons, uh, and there's a season of singleness. And you just are in that season, and I know it's been long, and m- my heart is with you because it's a pain point. You know, it, it definitely can be a pain point sometimes. And, and so I just pray that the Lord would touch that part of your life that's painful as you wait on Him for His perfect will in your life. Thanks for sharing those words of encouragement, Pastor Ed. And friend, if you'd like prayer about this concern or any other, we'd love to go to the Lord on your behalf. Please email that to us at prayer at calvaryaurora.org. Each month, Pastor Ed recommends a book that he believes will be of some help to your walk in Christ. And here in the month of May, he's picked out The Holy Land Key by Ray Bentley. The Holy Land Key is a real eye-opener to little-known aspects of prophecy. You'll learn how God's master plan is revealed in the seven feasts of the Lord and the significant prophetic patterns discovered in the lunar cycle, as well as receive glimpses of God's future kingdom as revealed in the stories of well-known figures in the Bible. We'll send this your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryco.church. That's 877-30-GRACE. Those that prefer to write, here's our mailing address, Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. Glad you've taken time out for our study in the Word in 1 Corinthians. Join Pastor Ed Taylor all week long as we continue to learn how to live by God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.